electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Uh, thank you, guys, and welcome, everybody, and good Friday evening and Too Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. We are distancing again, of course, for work, but we are never far apart from the markets. And the two big stories that are out there right now, obviously, the growth of the coronavirus pandemic and the devaluation of the U.S. and global stock markets. We are all over both for you this hour long. The stock market ending the week weekly. The Dow down 360 points off just about another 3% for the week following the earlier gains that we had in the week. A big part of the story the last two days, the price of oil up again today. The president wrapping up a meeting at the White House with seven major oil executives. There is a virtual OPEC meeting planned for Monday. OPEC and oil both on the rise. Small caps, though, they are going in the other direction. A week to forget for small cap investors, losing another 5%. And this is a staggering stat, which will show you just how bad things really are for the smaller cap stocks. Just ran the numbers before the show. 132 members of the S&P small cap index are down more than 20% this week. We'll dig in more on that. Plus, the SBA Paycheck Protection Act, the Small Business Loan Program, maybe getting off to a rocky start. Two important guests for you on that. The CEO of Huntington Bank, the number one SBA loan maker in the United States, and the true story of a 125-year-old family-owned business that is trying to get one of these loans and struggling to survive. All right, welcome, everybody. And, of course, we have got our crack team with you as well. We've got Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. It is going to be a very packed half hour before options action. Let's get right into it. Guy Adami, not the kind of way we really wanted to end the week, I'm sure. Now, not a great, listen, not a great end of the week, and you hit all the salient points for sure. And I'm, I'm, none of us are trying to be Pollyannish here. We're not trying to sort of give all the silver linings. But if you're looking for one, and Tim mentioned this last night, the fact that the VIX continues to sort of move lower now, I think, with a 46 handle, although obviously the market can continue lower, I think taking volatility out of the market is going to assuage a lot of concerns. So that's a good thing. There have been some winners and losers, and we were trying to talk about it last night. We got usurped for good reason, but some of these retailers have done very well. I mean, Dollar General, for example, is within a whisper of an all-time high in that stock, which is remarkable if you think about it in this environment. And the fact that there seems to be some stabilization, another word I'll use again and again, in the bond market. I think those are all good things under a backdrop of a broader market that seems to want to sort of just drift a little bit lower from here, Brian. Yeah, and Tim Seymour, you know what drifted lower is the NASDAQ. I mean, with the exception of Microsoft, which squeaked out some gains for the week, the big cap tech stocks and the QQQ, they're looking weak. Well, they, they, they slide up underperformance this week, and, and I do think it's something we have to watch. And we've talked about where the leadership of the market has been, and that's been a concern. Dan's mentioned his MAGA stocks, and I, I, I think um, if you want to see the market taking the next move lower, 
it, it's going to absolutely going to come, I think, in the form of Microsoft and, and, and Apple and Google and Amazon to a lesser extent. But um, look, I, I think there had been significant outperformance, almost 800 basis points this year to, uh, on the triple Qs to the S&P. So let's just watch that. I, I think your other risk measures this week, uh, the dollar, uh, I'm afraid, looks like it's reasserting itself. Uh, and we've had, you know, effectively a 2% move in the dollar uh, off of those lows. So it's taken back some of that move to the, to the almost to the 18-year highs. We have to watch that. Treasury yields, although Guy talked about the volatility, the extreme volatility in the Treasury market is lower. Bond yields are telling you, again, what small cap told you, which is that these are growth measures of the economy. Uh, and although if you had said you know, a month ago you were going to print 6.6 .6 jobless claims and an unemployment number today uh, that you saw um, and the market did what it did, maybe this is a small victory. Uh, I think we understand why these shocks are here. The question is the duration of the shock, obviously the health care uh, crisis we have. Yeah, and, and J.P. Morgan Chase out with a note today saying they could see a 7 million jobless benefit claim week next week, which would take us to 17 million unemployed in just 21 days. Truly insane. Dan, let's stick with small caps. Wow. Monday night, I think it was, you said if you kind of want to know the direction of the economy, look at the small caps. It's been a long week for everybody. I don't want to pile on. But if the small caps are telling the story of the economy, it's not good. No, it, it's not, Sully. I mean, listen, you know, Guy and Tim are trying to be constructive. I heard the term small victory. I heard the term silver linings. The fact of the matter is when you think about it, and I just don't want to talk about the health crisis. That's something that, that scales the hell out of all of us right now. But when I think about the economy and I think about the stock market and I think about the, the stock market as a lens for how it's viewing all of these things, and particularly like you just bring up the small caps, there are no silver linings. So if you're looking for when's the bottom, it's not happening in April 2020. It might not even happen in 2020. And I just can't phrase that. I'm not, I, I, I would love to be more optimistic about the economy, and I'd love to be more optimistic about the stock market. The stock market is fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and I'm just telling you that there are no silver linings. We are going to break the low from uh, March 23rd down at 2200 in the S&P 500. The only thing that you have to decide right now is how much cash that you need, how much cash do you want to have free from an investment standpoint when we do break those lows. And and the other thing I've just been saying this time and time again over the last few weeks is that there are no V-bottoms. It may V-bottom at some point, but far, far from now. So in the meantime, be prepared for a long slog, both economically and in the financial markets. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. And Steve Grasso, listen, I mean, it's a fool's errand to try to time the market, especially for the casual investors, got a 401k, maybe some stock funds, some ETFs. So should they be dollar cost averaging sort of back into the market if you're a long term investor now or literally is cash the only and maybe certain <clears throat> bonds the only place you want to be? Yeah, so the truth is that none of us know where the true bottom is. And I, I agree with Dan. I think we're going to take out those lows. I think Tim and Guy probably agree with that as well. But the truth is, I don't know whether it's seventeen hundred or fifteen hundred in the S&P. And for that matter, if you're a long-term investor and you're looking out five years, 10 years, you should definitely be, be, be buying stocks on the way down. You don't have to leverage everything in right now, but what has the market taken its lead from as of late? It's been oil, and I think that's what disrupted the overall flow today. 
I think it could have been much worse today if not for that oil meeting uh, that took place at the White House. Oil's up 50%. That takes a lot of these small cap names up with it. But oil is such an insignificant part of the overall indice that I don't think that's going to be the saving grace. So ultimately lower, but you're going to get these little rallies uh, within this bear market that we're in currently. As all four of you have said, the biggest bounces come during bear markets. That's when you get these violent snap back up here. Guys, let's get a little micro now if we can. We just went macro. Let's get micro. We got the three T's. We'll call that, right? And uh, they're not tonic, although that will be used later on, I'm sure, by many people out there. Guy, let's start with you. Your old shop, Goldman Sachs, upgrading Twitter, saying this is going to be a long-term winner, in part because everybody's just stuck on the site watching all the updates. It should be. And listen, I got to tell you, the last couple of quarters you know, have not been terrible. Obviously, the stock has been a, you know, pretty much of a bust over the last three and a half, four months with pr pretty much everything else. But the concern I have now, it really comes down to ad spend. You know, I don't I can't really I can't say with any equivocation whatsoever what the ad spend is going to look like. So although you might have a ton of eyeballs there and then you're going back to a 2000 term, you know, unless they're getting the ad dollars to back it up. I'm, I'm not certain that's a great thing. With that said, I agree with the note. I mean, Twitter seems to be the, 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 the one beneficiary of this if we can all come out the other side. So Twitter at current levels, if you want to play stock market a little bit, is a name you could start to pick away at for sure. I mean, that's it. We're all on it. And Dan, Nathan, I mean, that's the amazing thing about Twitter. It's like you got all these people that are on it. Everybody's watching it all day long. But yet it's just seems hard for them to figure out how to make money. No doubt about it. Sully, I'm of two minds when it comes to Twitter. It's obviously become a very, very valuable um, utility to all different types of participants on that platform. But the fact of the matter is, this is a company that, and even in good times, was not growing sales at the sort of clip that you might expect for a growth company valued this way. I will tell you this. There is room between here and the 2016 and 2017 lows. And if it got down to the mid to high teens, the stock would be amazingly cheap. Right now, it has a $15 billion enterprise value. Three quarters of their market cap is in cash. It's got a brilliant, brilliant balance sheet. And if it ever gets down there, if there's a strategic that does not buy it, and I'm talking a Google or you know something like that or a big media company, then I will launch a fund and I will go activist and I will buy it there, okay? Because this is an asset that actually needs to be paired with some other social assets or be part of a much larger platform because they're just not doing it on their own to the sort of scale that would validate it ever becoming one of these mega, mega platforms like we've seen Facebook go to become this massive behemoth. Yeah, maybe a good add-on. That's a great point there. All right, let's switch gears to another T, and that is actually just the single letter T, the stock ticker. Uh, Tim Seymour, a scathing note by Moffat Nathanson, $23 target, the low on the street. They said, you know, you think about them just being a cell phone company. Moffat says, no, they're very cyclical. And the one thing that I think the investors on the equity side need to worry about is, the CDS spreads, the insurance on the debt are starting to blow out a bit. 
Look, a tip of the hat to Moffitt Nathanson, who put a $30 target on the stock when it was 23% uh, higher. Um, talking about the dividend, the dividend coverage ratio, some concerns just about the debt that they needed to, to actually delever before you got to a recession. They needed to do some other things. Uh, what they pointed out in their note today is that this is a company that wanted to get more cyclical. And they say, congratulations, you've done that uh, going into a recession where we're now concerned about your debt. And mostly... Uh, concerned about the dividend and looking at dividend coverage ratios, uh, which is essentially free cash flow and the dividend payment. And, and, and if you think about people that are investing right now in AT&T because it's paying a 7% dividend, um, this is, should be you know, potentially concerning news. They give you know, base, moderate, and, and severe recession cases, uh, or mild, moderate, and severe, and, and they do their analysis uh, very well, by the way. Um, and I think that's the question. Uh, look, AT&T, 40% is still wireless. Um, their entertainment business is 25%. Uh, I'm long the stock. Uh, I do think that their cost of financing, though, has gone down dramatically as well. I mean, that's one thing that I didn't see really emphasized in this note. But uh, good for these guys. And the street listens to them. And in fact, I think the stock was uh, listening to them today. All right, Steve Grasso, let's talk about Tesla. It's a good news, bad news story for Tesla. The good news is the deliveries coming in in the first quarter, we got the numbers yesterday, look pretty good. The stock up today about 6%. The bad news is the stock's at 480. It was at 944 basically a month and a half ago. How do you read Tesla? <clears throat> so Tesla's all about positioning. So obviously, to your point, it's been beaten down. But let's remember, they beat a low bar. They didn't give any guidance. And these are quarter numbers. They're not month numbers. And what always happens with Tesla is the bulls get a little overzealous. The shorts get a little fearful. The stock always uh, you know, comes out a little bit in the wash. I'd be a seller of Tesla because I think going forward, you're going to be disappointed with these numbers. And I don't think it's any place to hide in a market as volatile. Yeah, Dan, I mean, if you're that concerned about the economy and you have every right to be, do we need to be that concerned about people buying fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 cars? Of course you do. I mean, if you're an investor in Tesla and you're buying the stock here and you're not covering a short, you are whistling past the graveyard, in my opinion. I don't get it. You just set it up. Well, the bad news is that the stock was at 900 in January. It was the poster child for the excess that was going on in this market. It will be a major footnote when the, the, the history books write the story on this bear market. To me, listen, they shored up their balance sheet. Good for them. But to your point, Sully, this company was always a recession away from having, you know, their product be something that, you know, is just not particularly affordable for most people around this world. So the fact that they came in at 10,000 or 11,000 better cars on a $76,000 number, and that's about it. That's as good as it gets for 2020 for these guys. So I just don't know why this stock is levitating where it is. It should be lower, in my opinion. All right, Dan, Nathan, Steve Grasso, Guy, Dami, Tim Seymour, you guys, Total Pro's been rolling with all kinds of changes this week, White House press conferences. We love you for it. Thank you very much. Best to you all and your families. Be safe. We'll see you guys on the other side of the weekend. Take care. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to focus more on the small business side of the story from two important angles. A real-world company, 125-year-old company, family-owned, just trying to survive. Can they get an SBA loan? We're going to hear about their journey and speak with the number one maker of small business loans, the CEO, Huntington Bank, will join us. It is a small business story on two sides. You got to hear it. We're back with more on CBC's Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, right, welcome back. Well, longtime CNBC viewers may not even realize CNBC stands for the Consumer News and Business Channel. We talk a lot about the economy. We talk a lot about stocks. But let's not forget about you, the small business owner out there, which is really the backbone of the United States. And now millions of you are no doubt struggling. So let's focus on that, the consumer and the business side of the story from two angles. And we're going to begin with this. Huntington Bank CEO Steve Steinauer will join us now. And they are the number one maker of small business loans in the United States. Steve, uh, welcome. I wish we had you on under better circumstances. Obviously, you are right there uh, in the heart of you know Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, that entire region, the, the, the heartbeat of America, as far as I'm concerned. What are you seeing? Are we going to be able to get these rescue loans processed from the government? Because a lot of small businesses seem very frustrated. We will absolutely get these loans uh, processed. We're uh, we're open for uh, business now. We're getting applications, typically one every couple of seconds. Um, we have a team that that is working throughout the night. Again, uh, we'll be working seven days a week with with our colleagues uh, from now through June 30th. We will do absolutely as much as we can to help small businesses survive and get through this crisis and and better days ahead. Yeah, and, and where do we stand in the process? Do you feel like, Steve, that your bank and you and your team has gotten enough guidance from Treasury and the federal government to make this work efficiently? We have received very substantial guidance from Treasury and SBA as of last night, and we are pre- prepared and, and certainly positioned to execute against that. There are a couple of areas where there are questions but I would say 95, 98% of what, what we will see by way of applications, we can process and we'll do that very efficiently. Increasingly, we'll be able to scale this business and, and further automate as we go forward. So we're expecting to be in a position to start funding early next week and take care of customers who are applying tonight uh, and uh, throughout the weekend. Now, are these, I don't know if you'd know this, Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. Are these mostly Huntington customers already, or are these new people that are coming in that you have not transacted with prior? At, at the moment, most of our application flow is from existing customers. We have a Know Your Customer requirement. It's part of the Bank Secrecy Act, Anti-Money Laundering Act, uh, that we are required to make sure we have knowledge of who we're doing business with. And so that favors existing customers for us and all the other banks. So we're at, while we're, we'll take applications from non-customers, what we're encouraging them to do is to apply directly to their bank where they have a primary relationship because they've already cleared these uh, know-your-customer requirements. The, those, Respectively, those banks are in a position to process uh, the application uh, just as we are with our customer base. That is really interesting, and I think it answers a question for our next interview as well. But, Stephen Steinauer, I'm going to let you guys get back to work here. I know you got probably working all night, but small businesses appreciate it. Steve, come back soon and let us know how everything's going. Best to you and your family. Thank, Thank you, you for your coverage and interest. 
Of course, definitely. It's a, listen, small business is the business of the United States. And let's talk about one right now that is sort of close to us in the CNBC family. It's operated by the brother and father of a former colleague of ours up, up in Boston. And it's a 125-year-old family-owned seafood wholesaler, literally on their fifth generation right now, working behind the registers. Uh, and let's bring in now Anthony Mantia, the company, uh, John Mantia and Sons. He's the general manager. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you on CNBC again. I wish it was under better circumstances. You heard the interview yeah, there but- with Steven Steinauer. Uh, you, you are attempting to get some help through some of these these programs. What has your personal real world experience been so far? Well, it's been a trying week. Um, we have close relationships with two banks at the moment who are both telling us that they just won't take our application today. Um, it's, as I said, we don't want to disappoint our, uh, our employees. We certainly don't want to be out of a job. We want to keep working. But uh, this loan is just not coming through today. And you guys have tried to keep people on, 13 to 15 employees. You've taken pay cuts. You're trying to keep everybody employed, and we commend you for that. You heard what Steve Steinauer said, though. Basically, you you almost need to go back to your bank or banks that going to random banks is not going to work. I assume you've gone to your primary bank or banks. What have they said? They've uh, they've said they need more guidance from the SBA. We do have two banks, in fact, at the moment. They're great local banks. I love working with them. Uh, they seem almost as helpless as we do, though. Um, they keep saying every week after every call with the, with Treasury that they just need more guidance and they can't seem to get a handle on it at the moment. You were founded by Italian immigrants in 1895, I believe it is. You've been around for 125 years in the Boston area, fifth generation, literally the American dream. How long at current sales and cash flow without help? Can you survive? We're doing all right, considering the circumstances. We're definitely down. Um, I would not want to go another month like this. Uh, but again, this is, a, this is unprecedented. We have no idea what to expect down the road here. Um, we're going to try to keep our employees and keep everybody going. We're trying to uh, do our part to keep the economy up and running. Well, Anthony, do us a favor. Keep us here at CNBC aware of how you guys are doing, how the process is working when it comes through. And we hope that it does for you. Let us know as well. We want to stay on this small business story. Best to you and your family, of course. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right. Coming up, we haven't forgotten about the stock market mission as well. And so what executives are taking advantage of lower prices to buy their own stock? Coming up, we've done it every Friday for you last few weeks. The top five companies where the executives are buying their own stocks plus A bit of a special message from me to two very special people in my life who, for obvious reasons, I I can't be with tomorrow. We're back with that right after this. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to CNBC's Fast Money. What executives bought their own stock this week? We've done it for you now every Friday. Let's continue it. All the data courtesy of InsiderScore.com. Here we go. Union Pacific, $2 million, whether that stock was bought, follows another big insider buy back in late February. Williams-Sonoma, first insider buy since 2012. GM, interesting here, an executive sold in September, bought back last week. So a big reversal at GM. Nike, big buyer, John Rogers of Ariel Investments. He's on the board, and he was a buyer. And Baxter International, 800000 worth of stock bought, first buy in three and a half years. And by the way, MGM Resorts actually had $25 million. They were the biggest. They're not on here, though, because a lot of that was because of a CEO change and a hedge fund sponsor. Still, got to give them a shout-out. All that data coming from InsiderScore.com. Speaking of shout-outs, normally don't get personal, but tomorrow is the 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary of my parents down there in Virginia. Of course, Mom and Dad, if you're watching, I love you very much. Thanks for having me, by the way. And you know we'd love to be with you, all of us here, um, but we, we can't. So um, happy anniversary. Love you guys. I'm going to go to break before I start crying on live national television. I'll be back with Options Action right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.